0: The Hot Four podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Crisp Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Rybra in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plants, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain, from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. All right, beer buddies, and welcome to another sesh on the Hot 4 podcast. The year is 2004. I'm the grand old age of 22, and I have a head full of bleach blonde spiky hair that earned me the nickname Wolverine. Only, I don't have the physique of Hugh Jackman because I'm about the size of Father Christmas. Now, I've never been a slim kid, and while my best friend in high school, Dan, could absolutely smash down pucker pies, sausage rolls, and goodness knows what else at lunchtime and remain stick thin, I could eat a grape—not that I did—and positively balloon into Homer Simpson-sized proportions. And. I don't think the newly installed vending machines at Stocksbridge High School did me any favours either. If eating five chocolate bars a day wasn't already enough, we soon discovered that busting out your best Incredible Hulk moves on them did wonders for your pocket money as they'd freely dispense sweets in a cry of mercy if nothing else. Yes, I was the overweight kid and that was before I discovered beer. My first ever beer was a tin of Stones Bitter that my mate Thacker snurtled out of his older brother's stash onto the playing field where we used to play footy together and I developed a bit of a taste for the stuff and needless to say by the time I hit college I could sort of pass myself off as an 18 year old if the bartender squinted in the correct light or was just blind which is where my love affair with draft beer and more importantly cast beer took hold. The unholy trinity of beer, junk food, and chocolate ensured two things. Firstly, that I was vastly overweight. And secondly, that doing any form of exercise required an astronomical amount of effort, which left me with stitch and sweating profusely even more than usual, which is what would happen when I sat still. And so I just never did, and I unhappily bemoaned my lot. I suppose... I was a little bit like Fat Bastard from Austin Powers, who says... Of course I'm no happy. Look at me, I'm a big fat slob. I eat because I'm unhappy. I'm unhappy because I eat. It's a vicious cycle. Anyway, you might be led into thinking that the late 90s and early noughties were the pinnacle of my weight gain. Oh, but listener, you would be wrong. By 2013, after a stint of working in a church that had boxes, and I'm talking about endless packets of chocolate biscuits, my Achilles heel, the kryptonite to my soul, I was mahoutib. I talked about becoming healthier for years. I tried restrictive diets, which would last a day or two at most, but nothing ever stuck. The lure of Remo's coffee with their delicate Italian pastries and Moorish lattes, the Indian chef, possibly the best curry house in the Western world, and not to mention the Punch Bowl, a Green King pub that stopped a wide range of local cast beers, meant that I was fighting a losing battle. And then something happened. Not long after I'd started brewing beer, I actually wanted to be healthier. I can't really explain it, whereas before, deep down, I didn't really want to lose weight and eat better. All of a sudden, I did. A friend of mine suggested doing a podcast put together by the NHS called Couch to 5K. If you've never come across it, go check it out because it revolutionised my life. The idea of this podcast is that over a series of weeks, it takes you from lounging around literally on the settee to being able to run five kilometres in one go. My first run was utterly excruciating. I panted like an old Labrador death doorstep as I did a lap of the local field, listening to the royalty free music that the podcast forced upon me. And I still, years later, can't get out my head. Everybody wants to live my life, but can number one and only. I've been around the world. Uh, I get the girl, uh. Apologies for that. And, you know, slowly but surely, I lost weight and was able to run considerable distances without being out of breath. Only this weekend gone, I did the round Sheffield run and didn't feel too bad as a result. By 2016, having worked full time by this point in the brewery for over half a year, I was down to 13 stone from nearly 17. Not bad for a fat lad from Stocksbridge. However, I wish the story did end there I gradually put on half a stone again and then another half and for several years hung around 14 stone and thought it's no biggie our, our bodies have a, a default setting and mine obviously isn't to be super thin it's to be around there and then lockdown happened and I'm sure like you throughout lockdown you discovered all kinds of fantastic beers and drank them I know I did and not only that But the homeschooling projects of making sourdough and brownies and tray bakes and cakes and all the other things and then the comfort eating, slowly but surely I started to get into old patterns of unhealthy eating and unhealthy drinking. I don't know if you can relate to all this, but me and the weighing scales have a bit of a love-hate relationship. To be honest, it's a bit more of a hate relationship. I can't help but feel the pressure sometimes of losing weight or being thin or seeing the perfectly toned bodies on Instagram and then looking down to see my middle age spread and feel somewhat guilty. And then in the next moment, forget it altogether as I scroll on to the next image of a Chris Pilsner reflecting the golden rays of the sun through the perfectly positioned glass or a robust portner with its tanned, foamy head baying for my pocket money. And on goes the endless tussle in my mind. Beer or belly? Why can't you have both? I recently had this revelation. It occurred to me that losing weight and being healthy aren't the same thing. Could my mate Dan from school, who didn't have an ounce of fat on him, honestly say he was healthy for eating all those pork pies at lunchtime or the pizza he once tried to steam cook over Mr. Smith's kettle? True story. Surely being healthy is the goal, not being thin, regardless of what our culture indoctrinates us with surreptitiously. It's taken me the best part of half a lifetime to draw that conclusion. How do we, especially those of us who actively work in the beer industry, remain healthy while enjoying the pleasures of a wide variety of beers? Beer is a bit of an occupational hazard in the industry, whether you're drawing off samples and doing taste tests, or you're viewing beer all day long, like I am, and have a bit of a thirst in the evening for a nice refreshing pint. It's no secret that alcohol does untold damage to our bodies. Unfortunately, There were 7,423 alcohol-related deaths throughout 2020, according to the Office for National Statistics. That includes mostly chronic conditions such as alcoholic liver disease, and a good percentage of those people are in the older age groups, which may be a consequence of misuse of alcohol that began years or even decades earlier. I certainly want to last the course and want to give myself every best fighting chance that I can. It must be possible, if you look at someone like the renowned beer writer Roger Protz, who has enjoyed a lifetime of ales and lagers, he's still going strong. It must be possible. There are lots of questions surrounding physical health and alcohol consumption, and I know I've got plenty. So in the discussion you're about to hear, I recently sat down with author and broadcaster Mark Dredge to take an honest look at the issues. There's loads of great content that unfortunately didn't make this episode. Discussions about the impacts of mental health and, as I alluded to earlier, body image. We felt, though, that it was only right to trim it down to the health and nutritional aspects of being healthy while still enjoying a good beer. However, if you want to discuss some of the wider topics surrounding health and well-being, you can certainly hop onto the Hot Forward Facebook group and kickstart a discussion there. So there's lots and lots to say, but I'm going to leave it for the discussion with Mark Dredge. So before we crack open this week's discussion on bodies and beer, it's time for another pint of all the necessary blood. If you like the Hot Forward podcast, then follow us on all the socials at Hot Forward Beers. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify and all of the good podcasting platforms. And visit our website, hotforward.beer, to connect with us and find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business with branding and creative media for breweries, bars, bottle shops, and supply chain businesses. The Hot Forward podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Crisp Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribra in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25kg sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plants, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at crispmalt.com. that's crispmalt.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the Hot Four podcast, I'm joined by Mark Dredge, be a BF food and travel writer. Hello, hey, thanks
1: for having me. It's all right. How's it going? Good, good, good. Yes, considering the today's topic, I am ironically hungover. So uh, yes, we'll, we'll get into that as we uh, as we as we chat through. Absolutely. So before we do, just tell me a bit about yourself and what you do for a living. Yeah. So I'm a beer, food and travel writer. I've been uh, writing about beer ages, actually like maybe like 12 years. I've been working full-time in the beer industry for about 10 years now. Um, I've written eight books. Uh, two of those have not come not come out yet, but they're coming out this year. Um, I do a lot of beer education and um, I also am the beer expert on Sunday brunch on channel four. So I get to go on live TV and talk, speak oh, nice. about beer. Cool, man. And um,
0: you wrote Lager, didn't you? I've I've not read it yet. It's on my list of books to read. So, uh...
1: yeah, brief history of Lager. I I loved writing that book. Most of my other books have been um, sort of illustrated, coffee table style books. So this one was one where I could like really go into research, like really learn about not just this type of beer, but the beer's place within culture, within. The developments of society and technology and industry and and marketing and all sorts of things like that. So yeah, um, I really I really loved writing that book. Fantastic. And do you have any particular favourite lagers? <laughs> um, I I love just drinking local lagers in their context. For me, I think that's that's the main thing. Um, you know if i'm in munich i want to drink a mug of augustina helles you know if i go a bit north into franconia i want to drink mars brau or i want mm. to drink whatever the local franconian beer is if i'm in the czech republic i want a glass of pilsner you know i for me for me all beer really is is a, is at its best when it's a local fresh product um and lager is no exception you know even a, a fresh Bud Light in St. Louis is actually you know, to be honest, I, I did that and that's still a bit rubbish. But, <laughs> but you know, the, the context and the the place, you know, and where it is and freshness, that's that to me is really important. Yeah. Well, this week I wanted to tackle a topic that many
0: of us within the world of craft beer are becoming increasingly more mindful of, which is how to balance the enjoyment of drinking beer with a healthy lifestyle. So let, let's start with an obvious question, um, but why should brewers, beer professionals and beer drinkers alike consider how much beer they're consuming on a weekly basis?
1: Yeah, and no, you know, it's a, it's a really good question. And the simple answer is that beer ultimately is dangerous. You know, if we drink too much of it, if we drink to an excess too often, then it really will probably only have negative consequences on our lives. And that's not just necessarily on our health, that goes way goes way beyond that. You know, whether it's our Personal relationships, whether it's um, our disposable income being wiped out by drinking five pound pints, you know, pint after pint after pint. Mm. Whether it's how we uh, doing our work in life, you know, beer is not just necessarily something that's dangerous for our body. It's dangerous to you know, kind of for our broader life in in general, you know. And as much as we love it, and as much as and, you know, no matter how delicious it is, I think understanding that we need to have this balance is much more sustainable for the future. Uh, you know, if we want to continue working in beer, if we want to continue enjoying this for a long time, if we are not mindful of that, then we won't be able to do that because our health and our life will suffer because of it. Yeah. I mean,
0: how, how does sustained drinking impact our bodies in the long run? Um, because Um, And just for reference, I don't mean like smashing out three double IPAs every evening. Um, But is it possible to be in the beer industry and last the course? I mean, looking at someone like Roger Protts would obviously suggest so, that you can. Um, I mean, he's still going strong and drinking beers and stuff. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people that work in the industry that drink a lot of beer, you know, like um, just how do you become mindful of
1: being sustainable you know running the long race yeah i think you know everyone has their own um i guess levels of what's acceptable and you know the feelings of alcohol and you know what they can handle you know some people can function perfectly well after drinking a few pints the night before other people just can't um for me i can't i don't i don't enjoy that feeling i know that it's going to negatively impact me the day after um the thing that I learned I was trying to understand how alcohol actually works, like how I actually process it. you know mm. I was writing an article about it was about beer and exercise ultimately, asking the question like can they be compatible? you know I like to I like to exercise a lot, I like to run a lot. I exercise most days, but I also like to drink a lot. So I wanted to understand how how these two things can can go together. And one of the things that I, I learned is you know the processing capabilities of of the body when it comes to alcohol. As we, as we drink, the body can process, you know, maybe a, a, a one beer per hour. It goes through, comes into the body, goes through the liver. And the, 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 because the alcohol is essentially like a poison, the body preferentially processes it. So if it's preferentially processing the alcohol. It's kind of forgetting it's other jobs. You know, it's like, if you've got, if you're in the middle of doing a job and you spill a glass of water, then you have to clean that up before you can carry on doing the rest of, rest right. of your work. You know, something like that. You know, you, so you forget the other stuff you're doing, or the body has to neglect its other stuff to an extent to deal with the alcohol. But it can comfortably deal with, you know, like one beer per hour, and that's why you know we might talk about the units and government regulations. That's where some things like that can actually be quite useful because you know it it works with the physiology of the body. But as soon as you start drinking beyond the liver's processing capabilities, the alcohol builds up, and then it floods into your system, and then that's when we start to feel well initially quite good. And then later on, not necessarily so good. So, you know, it builds up in your system and and that, you know, that alcohol is then flowing around your system. And yeah, it, it does feel good for a while, but then it gets to a point where that is then, you know, potentially harmful in, in many different in many different ways. Yep.
0: So let's say like before this episode, I i snuck in a bit of my wife's carrot cake. She makes like the best carrot cake ever. So I, I had a sliced carrot cake. And then let's say you know during this podcast, I mean we're recording this during the day, so neither was a drinking right now, but um I I'd speak for yourself. Oh well there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's say I smashed open a, a 14% quadruple or something and drank that my, my body would then neglect the cake right
1: and deal with the, the beer I'm drinking, kind um, of, that well, kind of. So the alcohol is being processed through the liver, whereas the food would probably be processed in, you know, in a slightly different way. Right. But ultimately you're just like flooding in a lot of extra stuff for your body to deal with. And it's stuff which isn't like full of nutrient, like that's not necessarily healthy things which are coming into, coming into our body. Um, they're not necessarily bad things. And I don't think we should ever consider them as being negatives and as being bad things to consume because when we drink them, when we eat them, they make us feel good. And I think mm. that psychological benefit outweighs the um the you know physical negatives. Yeah, I mean, because I I find sometimes,
0: well, I say sometimes often, really. I find quite often, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um I find quite often that if I've had if I've had a bit of a sesh with beers and stuff, I'm invariably quite hungry. You know by the end of it, and that's and I'm sure a lot of people like it. That's when the sort of you know the takeaway comes into play, and all the rest of it. Even though I might have eaten tea and, and so on. So it's, it's easy to see how you can quickly gain weight. It's no secret, obviously, as well, that drinking beer in and of itself and gaining weight really are the best of chums. Uh, but for, but for those who want to, in like myself, enjoy a hearty selection of beers, or even those who just you know, um, work. In beer, whether it's you in a bar and you're pulling lines through and you think, oh, I want to taste what this is like so I can sell it to customers well, or you know, you're tasting samples off a canning line or whatever. It is an occupational hazard of the beer industry. You know, if you if you want to enjoy those beers without packing on the pounds, is there anything we can do to keep our weight in check while? enjoying a variety of beers regularly, but both from an exercise point of view, so you say, you know, you exercise a lot, as do I. And for those who just kind of like, you know, the only running they'll ever do is from a swarm of bees or, you know, <laughs> after disturbing a nest or something.
1: Um, I, I think it's a really interesting idea. And I I do take issue with the stereotype of the beer belly, you know, um, and the fact that it's so, so closely associated with, you know, being fat because you've drunk too much beer um, I think if you just look at the basics of how we gain weight it's from an excess of calories you know you eat too many calories you if too many calories coming in and not enough going out those calories have to go somewhere and they stay on us as as extra weight um, you know if we if we were to eat 3,000 calories of just vegetables and lean protein a day for weeks on end that but didn't do any exercise we're probably in a calorie. Surplus every single day, so we will probably gain weight. It's not necessarily a bad thing, and you're eating good stuff. You're not eating crap, but it's kind of the, the science of how it works is that. Um, I think your example at the beginning was exactly kind of part of the stereotype of uh, of where people associate the beer belly from, in that we drink a few too many pints, we feel hungry, we make perhaps food choices which we otherwise wouldn't and we eat them at times which we would perhaps normally be asleep and then maybe the next day we don't eat a bowl of muesli for breakfast we eat a bacon sandwich or we have something else you know so we then have partly the extra drinking alcohol calories then we have additional food calories like twice um but you know once a, a month no big deal but if you do that all the time then it becomes an issue, I think, doesn't it? Yeah. So I think it's it is just that that uh, the idea of balance and and of moderation. You know, like I said a I minute mean, ago, the way that your body can process the alcohol, if if you drank, you know, maybe one beer every six hours, you'd be you'd be fine because your body can deal with that. Or you drank, you know, a beer at lunch and a beer at dinner, no problem because your body can handle that and it's not going to have any negative impacts. But if you drink a can of IPA while you're cooking dinner and then a can of double IPA when you're eating dinner. Like that seems quite a normal thing to do. But suddenly you've got this huge amount of extra alcohol in your system plus additional food. And, you know, it's just a whole lot of extra calories.
0: Yeah. And then you forgot obviously about the the whipped cream donut imperial stout for pudding. (laughs) (laughs) Naturally. Um, But, you know, just on that, I mean, sometimes you hear beer industry folk or just be drinkers justify those triple IPAs by saying that, oh you know, the number that the chief medical officer, um, you know, units of alcohol per week that has been suggested, which is 14 units in the UK. And I'm sure whatever country you're listening to this uh, in, um, you've got your own sort of units and um, medical officers saying this, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a meaningless figure that's plucked out of thin air. Like what, what's your view on that?
1: It's an interesting one because I never really consider the units on a on a can. Like if I happen to see them, then I'm like, Oh, okay, it's like two and a half, whatever. Uh, in the same way that I never count beer calories because I think it's uh, a meaningless, a meaningless number to me. It, it's you know kind of irrelevant. Um, but those units have come from somewhere. You know, some very smart people have decided that this is uh, a guideline that is relevant and is in. For the greater good of the you know the mass population if we don't drink or if we drink only to this level of units per week as it's going to limit the impact uh, it's going to limit kind of the impact of mm, or limit the negative impact or negative consequences of alcohol consumption um and i you know i don't know anyone who would sit down and be like okay well this is 1.7 units. I'll I'll write that down. And my next one, I'll have a gin and tonic. Go, okay. So that's I need to write down that. And then you know, it gets to Friday, it's like, well, I can only have you know 3.7 more units today to hit my to hit my number. I think really the importance of of having that unit guidance is that it makes people think, and makes people consider that they should have some moderation. You know, it's not just a free for all. It's not like alcohol. Fine, I can have however much I like. It's not going to be any problem. It makes you think that actually if I drink too much, it's going to have a negative impact on me. You know, and we have, there's other examples where we have these, these numbers, which help us kind of think about what we're consuming or what we're doing. You know, the, the calorie guidelines, you know, say 2000 a day, two and a half thousand a day, depending on, you know, our size and, and what we do. It's a guidance. It's not like, okay, I have to hit this every day. It's like, that's, that's a good number to sustain, um, to sustain normal weight or what weight you're at. If you want to lose weight, you consume less calories. If you want to gain weight, consume more. Um, And the same with like, you know, five a day fruit and veg. You know, it just makes us think, oh, okay, fruit and vegetables are probably good for me. I should try and eat a couple more. I've only had one orange today. Maybe I should have an apple and a banana as my afternoon snack. You know, it just makes us think of these things. And the same as exercise, you know, 30 or however many minutes they suggest a day. Um, It makes us think that every day I should try and move a little bit. I think with the unit idea, it makes us think I need to be more mindful that I don't have too much too often. And I also think, you know, we need to be conscious that it, it it's not a target to aim for. And it's not something that we then say, okay, well, I'm just gonna do all 14 in one go and then not drink anything for the rest of the week. Because again, that's not a healthy way of, of doing it. In the same way that you wouldn't eat, you know, 35 portions of fruit and vegetables on a Monday. And they'll be like, great. I now don't need to eat any fruit and vegetables until next Monday. Like I think it, it makes you consider your like holistically, you know, a kind of a week's worth of food and drink, you know, whatever it may be and exercise and balancing that balance that all out. Yeah, totally. So, um, just
0: before we talk a little bit about food, like what are some of the health benefits actually from drinking beer?
1: <laughs> this is, this is a weird question. This one. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure that we could necessarily say there are physiological health benefits from drinking beer. Um, <laughs> there, there are lots of studies about it. Um, and there seems to be like two sides to the studies. One is always trying to find a positive, One is always trying to find a negative. When you look to the ones where they're trying to find a negative, they make people drink loads of beer. And obviously it's going to have A more negative impact than a one. If you look at the ones where they're trying to find a positive impact, they give people one small beer. And I think we can all agree, and just from what I said earlier about the processing capabilities of the body, one small beer doesn't really have any negative impact at all. Your body can deal with it very normally, very naturally, um, and just process it like it could process anything else. Um, Those studies that talk about the positives, do you talk about, you know, always with a small amount of beer and the positives are always so like negligible that it's almost, almost irrelevant. So I think from a a health side of things, physiologically, I wouldn't ever say beer is great for you, but from a psychological benefit, I really think it is, you know, from whether it's just opening a beer when you sit down at eight o'clock at night to watch some TV Mm -hmm. and that ritual of having one beer, Um, whether it's, I've done a long run today. I'm going to enjoy one beer as part of my recovery routine, you know, sit down, have, have one nice IPA and I'm going to relax on the sofa. And that small amount of alcohol is going to kind of mellow out my muscles and make me feel good. Or whether it's going out with friends and having a couple of pints or sharing a bottle of wine over dinner, you know, there's something much more important than the physiological side is the psychological benefits that come with drinking small amounts of alcohol. You know, I think it's, I think really the answer to every question almost that we we're going to discuss is moderation you know yep. there is never a point at which if you drink one beer a day you're going to be you're going to have any issues unless it's one can of 9% ipa and then you go and <laughs> you know if, if it's moderate drinking of of normal strength beer so anything under say 5% you know that's not really going to have any any impact obviously you don't want to necessarily crush a can of 5% beer and then go drive in straight away. You know, you've got to be mindful of things like that, but moderate amounts of moderately strong alcohol are never going to be an issue.
0: Yeah,
1: And they can become really a part of a healthy lifestyle. Sorry to mm-hmm. jump in, but I think it, that's, I think that's the key thing there, that they can be a part of a healthy, sustainable, good lifestyle. It's when we do three beers a day, four beers a day, seven beers on a Saturday, that's when it's, that's when it becomes the problem.
0: Yeah. So just changing tack slightly, um, you've been a vegan for a few years now. and um, I'd be interested to know what, what changed your mind, meat, and how has that, uh, decision impacted on your life?
1: Yeah. So my girlfriend decided she wanted to cut out meat. Um, she still ate fish a bit, but she decided just to, to become pescatarian, I suppose, um, so we would cook dinner and I would just cook loads of chicken breasts and just eat them. And I, it, you know, after a while, I was like, this is just stupid. Why am I bothering to do this? Um, so I just decided that I would go vegetarian as well. And then also, actually mostly vegan. So it was vegetarian, but mostly vegan, a small amount of dairy every now and again, mostly when I go out. Um, and I just did it as an experiment to begin with. It wasn't quite January, but it did start in January. Um, and it just carried on because I felt really good. Um, I felt healthier, I felt uh just better overall. Um, we were cooking loads of different recipes. We weren't relying on the old recipes that we just knew from default. Um, we weren't just thinking, okay, well, let's just put some chicken breast in that. Well, let's just cook, you know, pork chops or you know, whatever it may be. We were cooking new things and I love cooking, I love love food. And all of these new recipes, all of these new cuisines, all of these new things, that was really exciting for me. Um, But ultimately I just, I just felt healthier for doing it. Um, and that, that's, that's why I chose to choose to eat a a mostly vegan diet is because of the health benefits and because of the way that I feel from eating it. This is not necessary. And, you know, environmentally as well. I think, you know, there's a lot of, of, of negatives in, uh, meat production for the environment. Um, I'm not necessarily one of those vegans who's there for like doing it for the animals. I mean, that doesn't mean I'm saying like kill all the animals. that Like, <laughs> definitely not. But I mean, those animals are going to be they're farmed for their for their meat, and you know, me not eating them is not gonna is not gonna save any any lives ultimately. But yeah, <laughs> personally, for me, it's uh, it's just the way that it makes me it makes me feel. Yep, my youngest daughter, who's eight, um,
0: she basically doesn't like eating meat. She, again, I think because she's quite young and likes animals, you know, mm-hmm. the connection between the two for her, um, you know, she, it make, it upsets her, although, you know, she's not quite worked out that sausages, for example, uh, she'll still eat those. <laughs> um, but I remember seeing a programme, I can't remember if I showed it to my kids actually, uh, but I remember me and my wife watching this programme on meat and meat farming in the USA and the impact it has on even on the rainforest where, you know, um, land is being cleared basically for, for grazing. And then obviously that has an impact on the climate and all the rest of it. Um, I'd be interested actually, when you look around at like taproom culture, the the food on offer is often a combination of meat and beer and it's by and large, it is meat focused. And yet, like, as I said, the the environmental and ethical impacts of meat farming, you know, is contributing towards climate change, probably more than people actually realise, more than I realise, certainly. Um, I mean, what what are some good alternative vegetarian or vegan foods that pair well with beer? And how can breweries that run tap rooms or eateries possibly be more mindful of what food they're serving up? I guess both meat and vegetables. So again, I'm not saying like everyone lists this now should, you know, ditch the burgers and the ribs and stuff, but... Um, just, just to be more mindful because obviously more people are uh, turning to veganism and vegetarianism.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I've, I've become more aware of it recently. Now the pubs have reopened, you know, and become more aware of the veggie and vegan options that I'm seeing that I'm seeing in pubs. You know, I've I've eaten so many vegan burgers in pubs in the last you know, month or so, and I'm kind of sick of them to be honest because they're all essentially the same. Not many of them are great. And I just think that pubs and, and taprooms and breweries can do better. Um, but I think you use the word mindful, and I think that's really just the key word there. And it's just being aware that actually, particularly as a taproom, pubs are a bit more of a all-inclusive space is perhaps the wrong way of putting it, but they're more a natural part of, of, of culture and people, you know, people know what pubs are for. But taprooms and breweries, they have this different appeal. They have this perhaps different uh, selection of, of customers that, that visit them. And I think we don't want to be alienating to those people. And so many people now who do visit breweries and do visit tap rooms, particularly the more, more modern, newer ones, are eating less meat or no meat and no animal products. So I think if you're just having um, you know, a, a food truck outside or a food offer that is purely just meat-based, I think you're alienating a very large part of, um, of the drinkers who are coming to I went to, uh, I live quite near Beak Brewery now, and I went to Beak a few weeks ago and they had a vegan taco truck outside. You know, That was the option. And I don't think anyone there, even the most hardcore meat lover, is going to eat their tacos or their burrito and be like, I just wish this had some steak in it because it was just really good. So I think it's just having those, being, being mindful of those of those wider choices, and that actually, just because we love beer doesn't mean we only love meat. Um, and this is a big part of the beer industry. If you look at food and beer, food and beer pairings, and food and beer cultures, particularly in the classic beer drinking nations, the dishes are so meat based. Everything is meat based. Just think about every every classic beer dish, every classic pub recipe, every beer hall recipe. It's meat. And this has been part of the beer industry and the beer um not even just the industry just part of food and drink culture for so long now Mm. that it's become natural but the world is changing you know the beers that we're drinking are changing the consumers that are coming into these tap rooms are changing but still in so many places the food options are not changing Um, so i think now is a real good time to be able to develop to develop those choices and just offer a bit more.
0: Yeah. But I think you touch upon there about, um, you say about a lot of the offerings are quite similar and, you know, it's, I mean, again, it like alcohol free beers. I I do think uh, vegetarian food has come a long way. I remember going to Glastonbury in 2000 and, um, I traveled down there with my mate's sister, um, on the train and I, I, I went veggie for a bit because I really fancied her and obviously <laughs> she was a vegetarian. So I was trying to impress her. It didn't work. Um, but I remember having this veggie burger and it was just awful. It was just truly awful. When, my, when, when my mate Russ did arrive, um, you know, who did eat meat, you know, I was, I was so glad to get t- tucked into a burger, but you know, fast forward to, um, fairly recently, I, I went out to, um, a tap room, uh, local to me with a friend and he's a, he's a proper meat eater and he ordered, um, the veggie burger, he was absolutely pulled over by how good it was, you know, and it actually, you know, looks more appetizing than what I was eating, you know, and mine was great. So it, you know, it has, has come a long way, but I definitely agree that, you know, that was on the menu. There was only one veggie burger and the rest of it was like, you know, um, pig, beef, chicken lizard and everything, well, maybe not lizard, you know, but everything wrapped into one juicy pate, you know. Mm. Um, Yeah, I I definitely think that we've got a a way to go. Definitely. Uh, And, and, you
1: know, the the beer industry is, the beer industry is changing. I think we do need to be aware of, you know, the environment and and just generally aware of what we're consuming. That's kind of part of this whole holistic approach to, to living well. You know, I want to eat well, I want to drink well, but I also want to have I don't want to ruin the world while I'm doing it. And actually, one of the things which I keep coming back to with this diet is that because I'm doing it more so for for health and for you know for the sustainability of 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 the world, I end up eating more processed food now than I used to. And the reason, one of the main reasons for going vegan was that I didn't want to be eating these processed foods. You know, and I eat far too many Linda McCartney sausages. I'm obsessed with them. I absolutely love them. And, you know, kind of meat-alike products, whether it's like a soy mince or something like that. But I have those and then I'm like, well, or or a veggie burger, you know, some of these like Beyond Meats and things like that. They're Mm -hmm. they're great and they're so close to meat that they're really impressive. But that burger contains, I'm not sure how many ingredients, whereas the actual hamburger from a cow probably contains two cuts of meat and a bit of salt and pepper. And like, I I want to be as, I want to eat as purely as possible and as unprocessed as possible. Yet these vegan choices and veggie choices are not always that best option. So while I'm choosing this diet at the moment, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm gonna be going and eating out going for burgers, but it does make me consider like how processed the ingredients are. Because yeah. again, you know, I like good beer, I like to exercise a lot. I know that just as dangerous as over eating too much beer can be, uh, drinking too much beer can be, eating too much processed food can be really bad for you or really dangerous. So, you know, it's just this general consciousness and awareness of what we're eating. And I think a lot of that is perhaps lost in, certainly to the older generations who, you know, are perhaps unaware of positives or negatives for certain foods you know <laughs> i can just hear my parents voice like get it down there. <laughs> exactly you know and just piling on piling on the butter and adding on you know all of these not necessarily particularly healthy you know side options yeah totally um well b- b- before we round up today I'd, I'd love
0: to know a bit about the new book you're writing beer and veg um i mean have you found writing that book um I'm presuming it's about beer and veg, but if you could elaborate on the content of it and what you're hoping the impacts of the book will be for your readers,
1: yeah. So it's I wrote a few years ago. I wrote a book called Beer and Food, and it was all about uh, food and beer pairing, um, sort of focusing on beer styles and then focusing on cuisines and just matching it all up. Um, I've always loved food and beer. That was kind of one of the things that most excited me about beer when I got into it years and years ago. Um, and I, w- I was thinking. It's so over a year ago. So I started writing it during lockdown. And I, I said to my publisher, I was like, why don't we do this book, but with only veg and vegan food? You know, As I said earlier, beer is so meat, certainly beer and food is so meat focused. And it's almost like a meat first option. Um, so I was like, let's just do that book, but only veg and only vegan options. And they were like, yeah, brilliant. And I loved writing this. I've probably had the most fun writing this book Uh, than any other than any other one um it probably helped that it was during lockdown so i couldn't really do anything else it was the quickest book that i've ever written i probably wrote it in about three months um and i could really focus on it because i didn't really have that much else on you know i spent all day cooking all night just like tasting tasting different beers um tasting different recipes and then writing about it i had a a great time but it it made me re-engage with beer and food Um, which I think was really important because I think i got complacent with food and beer pairing. You know, if someone said to me, what's a good pairing for this, I just had this like Rolodex in my head that I could just pull out and be like, Oh, for that, you want to try this. But I hadn't necessarily tasted those things recently. It was just like, Oh, I, I once tried that and it was good. Here go. Here's a good pairing. Um, so it made me almost go back to the beginning of what I thought I knew about food and beer together. And the meat was almost, you know, or the lack of meat was irrelevant to it. It was just going back to basic flavor combinations and how they work in the dish and how they work in the beer. Um, I think the most important thing as a takeaway is that when when you are pairing food and beer, you're not pairing to the protein or almost never are you pairing to the protein. Um, If you have a a Thai curry, chicken Thai curry, you're not pairing to the chicken or, or the prawn, you're pairing to the sauce. You know, and there are very, very few exceptions to that. Like perhaps great barbecue, you know, it's very hard to barbecue, you know, vegetables to get that same level of intensity, mm. uh, unless you're having a source on it. But most of the time you're not pairing to the protein, you're pairing to everything else around it. So some of the rules that we do know, some of the ideas, some of the parents that we do know, completely transfer across to whether it's a, an animal protein or a plant protein. Um, And it was great. I just had such a good time like working on working on this. And like I said, just re-engaging with flavor combinations. That for me is always it got it's what got me into beer in the first place was great food and great beer and putting them together because I saw such potential. And it's still this potential that's un unachieved. You know, we always we've been talking for years about, you know food and beer pairing menus you know the the beer sommeliers the the idea that there's going to be people who really celebrate quality beer and quality food in top top restaurants and it still hasn't it mm. still hasn't happened and i still don't know why um particularly when we have such the potential for such incredible combinations um but yeah it was a, it was a, a real really fun to work on Uh, and there's recipes in there as well. So, you know, lots of recipes that use just like 70 recipes that use, that use beer, um, which is always fun. Fantastic. Well, food, beer,
0: Ultramarathons, you truly are living the dream. (laughs) 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 How how can people connect with you? How can they find out more and where where can they buy your books and stuff?
1: Um, you can buy the books. Actually, I'm going to be selling them on my website soon, which is bearddredge.com. Um, otherwise uh, just search on bookshops slightly better than than Amazon Um, and you can find me online as Mark Dredge uh, just at Mark Dredge on on all the social media Nice one, cheers Mark Thank you very much, this was fun
0: Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. We make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding, marketing and consultancy. Remember to follow us on social media at HotForwardBeers. and for another week. Cheers!